Yes, welcome in, boys and girls. We're here once again at the full 10 yards for your NFL podcast as we review the vast majority of week 14 in the National Football League. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by my fellow Midlander, Mr. Lawrence Foss. How you doing, my friend? Not too bad. I just, just read a, um, a little sales piece on, on one of the NFL websites that they're selling tickets for as low as $38 for Monday night football between the Giants and the Eagles. I think they'd actually have to pay me $38 to watch that game. Yeah, it's not really much of a sales pitch, is it, though? When I saw, um, I saw Newcastle United gave away free season tickets today. Maybe that's the uh, the path that the Eagles and Giants should be taking tonight to try and get a few in the stadium for that one. But uh, we'll very briefly touch on Monday Night Football as we get later on into the podcast, probably around third or fourth down. But for now, let's get into the meat and veg of what you're here to listen to as we move into first down. First down. Okay, so as we like to do, let's take you around those televised games that graced our screens over the past couple of days. And I'll start us off with Thursday Night Football, which myself and you previewed and said it was a big game, particularly for the Dallas Cowboys. Chicago, though, take care of business in this one and win by a score of 31-24. to 24. It actually moves the Bears into a winning record now at 7-6 and six and still clinging on to the finest of hopes for the playoffs in the loaded NFC. As for Dallas, they still technically are in the playoffs in the fourth seed still. Uh, however, they now slip below 500 on the season at 6-7. and seven. And it's a game that Mitchell Trubisky actually looked a little bit more like the individual that was playing quarterback for the Bears last year. He had a nice day, completed 23 of his 31 attempts for 244 yards and scored three touchdowns through the air. But I think one of the keys for me in this game, Lawrence, and I'll get your view on it shortly, was Mitch Trubisky actually realised he got those wheels underneath him again. Uh, For the first time in a long time, he actually used that as a weapon, rushed 10 times in this one for 63 yards and also found the touchdown in that route also. Um, Alan Robinson, his favourite target on the day, no surprise there. He came up big with two of the touchdown grabs. In terms of Dallas, um, it's really difficult to to sort of really get a handle on what's going wrong at Dallas. Um, Dak Prescott continues to throw for plenty of yards, but he's just throwing the ball far too much. 49 pass attempts in this one. Zeke, the main weapon, you know, with all this big hoo-ha in the off-season around a contract extension. What a malarkey that was when you look back. And, you know, again, under 100 yards rushing. He did find the touchdown twice in this one. But the Cowboys basically flamed out early. 75 yards of offense on their first drive. It took them the next nine to basically double that yardage. You know, they, they punted the ball far too often. They couldn't sustain drives. And don't let the final scoreline um, you know, deceive you in this one. Don't look at the stats and think, oh, that was a close game in terms of yardage. 177 of Dallas's yards came in their two garbage-time drives. This game was over long before the final whistle. Massive results in terms of you know the Philadelphia Eagles prospects in the NFC East. And Lawrence, I'll come and get your view on the game. Um, I, I thought the Cowboys would find a way to take care of business in this one, but yet again, 
coming up against a side with a record at 500 or better, the Cowboys come up short? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough because I have to confess the Cowboys were actually my Super Bowl pick at the start of the season. So, I mean, this, this coming from a, from a Redskins fan, I was that confident that the Cowboys were going to do that well that I thought I'll just, I'll, um, I'll, you know, stick my, stick my, um, stick my prediction out there and, and be happy with it. And the fact that they've got a losing record um, after 14 weeks is, is pretty ridiculous considering the talent that they've got. But it's, it's also a little bit symptomatic of um, Mitch Trubisky somehow finding a bit of form. So that rushing touchdown that he got was, I think, was a huge boost for the Bears. And it's that, that one play, I think, is, is going to give them confidence as they really are pushing for, for that wild card. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I, realistically, it's not going to happen. But they're, they're hanging in there. They're one of three... NFC teams on the outside um, looking inside. So it's possible, but very unlikely. But for the Cowboys, you know, they've, they've got the offensive line. They've got the, you know, with Zeke, they've got the weapons in the air. I mean, yep, Jason Witten's about 100 years old, but he's still catching the ball. And the defence, I, I think it's the case, the defence has got a lot of individual names. They're just not playing as a unit. And I think that's that's the big problem with the Cowboys' defense, and and obviously they they've released Brett Meyer, their kicker, and signed Kai Forbar. I think poor old Brett Meyer was leading the league in missed field goals. I think he'd missed ten field goals so far this season, and what he was still doing on the roster, um, I don't know. So no surprise that he's gone. But this is this it's going to be another one of those. Um, divisions where someone's going to win the division probably with seven wins yeah yeah certainly looking likely i don't think anyone's going to fear going to jerry world if that's the way it shakes out in the playoffs in terms of wild card weekend be interesting to see obviously the eagles get a chance to even up those records tonight as we've alluded to uh, so certainly lots of questions to ask in dallas and as you said change is already coming Unfortunately for Tim, it's not at the coach position, it's at the kicker position, but um, we will wait and see how that one progresses. Let's move swiftly on, and I want to spend plenty of time talking about this one because we were treated to easily, in my opinion, the game of the season so far in the early sky window on Sunday evening. And Lawrence, I know you saw plenty of this one. We're talking, obviously, about the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I mean, what an absolutely superb advert for for pretty much every skill you look for in an NFL game. Speed, precision, execution, will and determination. And it's it's pretty much in a nutshell why we love the game. It's why we're sitting here on a on a wet Monday night talking about the NFL. It's for these sorts of games. And and really, you, you, there can't be many NFL quarterbacks out there who score five touchdowns at home, put up 46 points and still lose. But that's what happened to the Saints. And they, they just ran out of time at the end of this game. Um, and they were unable to counter that final blow, that, that Robbie Gould field goal that ultimately settled a 94-point explosion. So we had five lead changes overall in the game. 
including probably what Drew Brees thought was the game winner with 53 ticks left when he hit Traquan Smith and he sort of danced into the end zone. And we've got, to, we've got to take a little sort of time out and look at some of the things that happened during the game. And if the Saints had actually converted either of their two-point attempts, they went for one run and one pass, or instead just elected to kick the two extra points, we probably would have gone into overtime to top it off. Um, so that's, that was kind of the reason with that strange score. And I think, I think I've read somewhere that it's the first time in NFL history that this particular scoreline of 48-46 has, has ever occurred. Yep. So it's one of, those, one of those special moments. So, I mean, if it's any compensation, if you actually started True Breeze in fantasy this week, you, you pretty much won your game and you've either got to the, the quarterfinals, you got through the quarterfinals or through the semifinals, depending on, on of your league format. I think he went over 40 fantasy points, which is ridiculous. And to top it off to his five passing touchdowns, he had a rushing touchdown as well, just, uh, just for old time's sake. Um, the game produced the highest scoring first half of the season. Absolutely no surprise, 55 points in the first half. So only 40 points in the second half, but in absolutely no way was this anticlimactic. There's almost too many quality plays to talk about, I think, for the, for the whole game. We'd be here for an hour talking about you know, these outstanding plays, but we all know the absolute best play of the game, and that came on the last drive on the fourth and two when Jimmy G faded back, looked round, passed to his left, George Kittle two yards past the line of scrimmage, caught a short pass, turned it upfield, got grabbed by the face mask, and managed to take three Saints defenders with him an additional 17 yards down the pitch. I mean, I don't know about you, Sean, but was that one of the greatest plays you've ever seen? No, all things considered, like you say, the game on the line, the situation, like, you know, the fact that, like you say, he was having his face mask ripped off. I, I particularly love the, the defender that actually got credited with the tackle, I believe, literally jumped on his back. It was almost like he went for a piggyback, didn't he, for about 10 yards yeah. up the field. It was just a, an absolutely phenomenal play. And, you know, we, we wax lyrical about Gronk for, for years and rightfully so. And I think George Kittle has got to be getting into the conversation of arguably one of the best players in the league, I would suggest. Yeah, he, he's been absolutely phenomenal. But not to be outdone in, in terms of being on the 49ers roster, we, we've, got to, we've got to, you know, pay credit to Emmanuel Sanders' game as well. I mean, this is a guy who's already got a Super Bowl ring with the Broncos, so he's hoping for a, for a second. He went for seven catches, 157 yards, and, a, and another highlight reel, which was his 75-yard touchdown catch, where he, he fell to the, to the turf but because no one was anywhere near him, sensibly and, and quickly, he got straight back up, bang, touchdown. So that was pretty fantastic. And then to top it off, Sanders only goes and throws a 35-yard touchdown himself, this time to um, running back Raheem Mostert, who had another big game. Sanders is actually now a career three for three in terms of passing. So he's played for three teams. He's completed one pass for every team that he's played for, which is, I think, sort of incredible statistic. Three for three NFL passing career. And then in a rather phallic gesture, 
both the 49ers and the Saints lead backs ended with 69 yards on the ground, which is just weird. Um, and for Alvin Kamara, I mean, we've talked about him in, in, you know, over the last couple of weeks. The production woes continue. 43 total yards on 17 touches. And again, no sight of the end zone. Okay, Drew Brees snuck in there with a the quarterback sneak. But, but Alvin Kamara just hasn't, he hasn't turned up. I don't think he's turned up for the whole season, really, which is unlike his colleague, um, Michael Thomas, who did score and led all receivers with 11 catches. And Thomas had the pleasure of Richard Sherman in his ear holes for, for quite a lot of the game. And with three contests left, he has the seventh most catches in a season in NFL history. So if we break this down, he needs three games. He needs an, an two eight-catch games and one seven-catch game in his last three to take that record from Marvin Harrison. So get to the end of this. The 49ers move to an equally NFL-leading 11-2 and two record but they still haven't clinched the NFC West with the Seahawks hot on their tails. Unlike the Saints, who don't even have a divisional rival with a winning record to offer any kind of competition. So we've got two definite playoff bound teams, but one who's, one who's secured their division and one who hasn't. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. And I think, you know, just to touch on what you said there with Alvin Kamara, I think even more what he needs, you know, 13 attempts yesterday, 25 yards. His longer the day was 17. So, you know, you take that one out, it's it's eight rushing yards on 12 carries. Uh, yes, that San Francisco putting on his front is good. But obviously, like you say, Latavius Murray didn't have any problems moving uh, the ball when he had his attempts. He was nearly at 10 yards average per rush. I think the key thing in this one for me, and you know, I've been a big fan of his for a while now, and I know he's one that polarises opinion, but I just hope now that people will finally get on board with Jimmy Garoppolo actually being a very good NFL quarterback. I'm not quite ready to stick him in the elite category yet. He's got a lot to prove. He's got to play a lot more games. He's obviously still quite young. You'd almost class him as a rookie in terms of the number of games that he's actually played. But here he is, like you say, going up against one of the absolute best to ever do it arguably you know well certainly the passing leader in terms of the most yards ever thrown for in Drew Brees and he you know he goes toe to toe with him they both end up with 349 yards as you say to a game of parallels isn't it the top rusher with 69 yards apiece and uh, the quarterbacks with 349 yards apiece and the sign of any good quarterback mate is if you can you know go and make a play or, or lead a drive when your team needs it most and he did that yesterday. Um, you know, it's a massive signature win. You could see what it meant to him. Um, you know, it's a phenomenal win for the 49ers, um, who obviously, you know, had, had suffered a tough defeat the week previous um, to Baltimore. So a massive, massive win. Um, potentially another game that we could see a repeat of come January. And based on what we saw, I don't think anybody would be complaining. Um, Let's move across to the late evening game on Sky, and that was the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't even know if we should call this one a surprise, to be honest, based on the way that the season has gone so far. But it's the Chiefs who, with a win, clinched the AFC West after ending what had been a 21-home win streak for the New England Patriots. And they did it, essentially, with 23 unanswered points, which... You know, to me, watching it always felt like it was going to be enough against a team that struggled offensively all year long. 
you know, Brady was held to just 169 pass yards in this one, and the two biggest plays of the day were actually trick plays. One of them, a flea flicker, which got the the, uh, the scoring started. Nice play from the Patriots. James White took the ball, pitched it back to Brady, who found Edelman. Um, you know, and that was basically as good as it got for the Patriots in the first half. Um, the the Kansas City Chiefs offense also had its struggles on the day, but found a little bit of a hot spell. And the the big play, if you like, of the, of the game in terms of the yardage was was a big one from Mahomes to McCole Hardman, 48 yards just over the top of a defender. Safety was caught on his heels and, and McCole Hardman's obviously got speed to burn and he raced away. Second uh, Chiefs touchdown was an interesting one. Not very often you're going to see Travis Kelsey lined up in the Wildcat formation. But that's exactly what happened. And he took the ball in. And like I said, the Chiefs ultimately you know, just padded on top of that lead. And it always felt as though it was going to be comfortable. Can't get away from the fact that there were obviously two huge officiating calls in this one. And, and for once, I know a lot of people will be screaming. They went against the Patriots here. Kelsey actually fumbled the ball um, and the whistle came in very early to blow the play dead. It's probably safe to say that Stefan Gilmore had certainly got a clear recovery. Yes, he got a path to the end zone. I'm, I'm assuming that Tyreek Hill would have caught him, though. Let's be honest, you know, Tyreek Hill can probably give anybody a five or ten yard head start and catch them up. But certainly it squandered even better field position at absolute worst for the Patriots on that one. And then the second big call, Rookie Nikhil Harry looked as though he had scored a touchdown. He was actually ruled as being out just short of the goal line. And unfortunately for New England, they had got no challenges left to review the play. So ultimately, the uh, the call on the field obviously had to stand. And it's typical of the Patriots' offence, of course. They then have to settle for a field goal. And, you know, that was obviously another big swing in the game. Ultimately, the Patriots did... Mount a little bit of a comeback in this one and had an opportunity to potentially tie the game up with about a minute or so to go. And Brady, who was under pressure for most of the night, it seemed like in this one, again, as the pocket was collapsing, did heave the ball out to the left hand side of the end zone toward Julian Edelman. To be fair to Brady, it was a good ball. You know, it would have given Edelman an opportunity. But a great play from Brashan Breland to knock the ball away. He had a nice game. He also had an interception in this one for the Chiefs. And all of a sudden, this Chiefs defence has become a little bit more opportunistic and, and it's actually you know been a lot better in recent weeks. For the Patriots, the, the continued struggles on offence. You know, Edelman leading receiver by a long way, 8 for 95 on the touchdown that I alluded to. And outside of James White, no other, no other receiver got anything going at all. James White caught five out the backfield. James White's the, the sort of Swiss army knife, isn't he, for the Patriots in this one? 35 rushing yards. And, has, and he also completed um, a pass in this one as well. He's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, so to speak. Um, but a, a big win for Kansas City. Like I say, they clinched the AFC West. Plenty of more questions, I would suggest, here for New England, Lawrence. And, you know, they, you know, another week has come and gone and another week they haven't been able to get these offensive struggles fixed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that I can give an ounce of sympathy to Tom Brady, but his supporting cast, with the exception of James White and Julian Edelman, is pretty poor. Matt Lacoste at tight ends and... Um, his name Myers, the receiver. They're they're just not 
performing in any way, shape or form in terms of what Brady's used to. And that defence is... It, it started earlier on in the season, their, their sort of vulnerability against the run. And even though this, was, this could have been quite a big game for LaShawn McCoy, but he didn't perform at all well. The Chiefs running game still hasn't kind of really done anything impressive. They, they even brought back Spencer Ware, who hasn't been with them all year, and started feeding him the ball and to, to little success. This is, this is a Patriots team that maybe they're getting out all of the, the ugliness now um, before they go into playoff mode. And we know what they're like when they go into the playoffs. They become an absolutely different team and they are virtually unstoppable. And it doesn't really matter who they face. They, they just turn into, a, they're, they're just night and day when it, when it comes to the playoffs. So maybe they're getting all this, this hideous play out the way but they're going to have to um, be careful because Buffalo are not that far behind them. Yep, no, I'm certainly, mate. They they certainly have got some work to do to make sure they even get there, which you know is is amazing to even think about, isn't it? To be honest, but certainly those struggles continue. Just before we move on, as well, just a just take a long hard look in the mirror. Any Patriots fans that were in that stadium booing yesterday, you have had. 10 to 12 years of absolute dominance and the most unbelievable run of success. Yes, you're having a bad time of things, but good Lord, you're 10 and 3, even on a bad season. I know that uh, there's a lot of fan bases that would absolutely jump for an opportunity to have such a bad season as what you're having. Uh, I would suggest they get behind that team as opposed to... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll swap records, Sean. That's no problem. Indeed, mate. Indeed. We'll take our our 3-10 and and swap it for a 10-3. and That'll be fine. Exactly, mate. Unbelievable, isn't it? And then we'd have a a four-game lead in the NFC East as well. (laughs) (laughs) You're still convinced that the Red... You you can't even get into the division crowd now, can you? So we'll we'll stop talking about that. We'll stop talking about that. My Christmas officially got soured um, on Sunday. Never mind. Mate. We'll get to that. We'll get to that one shortly. Let's not. Let's not ruin the rest of the podcast. Let's uh, let's finish those TV games. And anyone that stayed up late last night would have seen a much improved performance from the LA Rams as they take care of business and knock off the Seattle Seahawks, mate. Yeah, I mean, this was a with a hugely important 49ers win in the early window. This was the Seahawks' opportunity to keep pace with their divisional rival. But they absolutely blew it. And this is this was the kind of the the anti Russell Wilson game. It's it was surprising. He was he was harassed the entire game. I mean the Rams in the last couple of couple of weeks seem to have found some sort of extra gear. But I mean even though Jared Goff seems to be Managing to find all of his targets. Don't be fooled. This this was the Rams' defense that was the reason for this win, and for that, the LA killed stone dead a, a five-game Seattle winning streak. And if you take away that blowout loss to the Ravens, the Rams have actually allowed 26 points in three wins from their last four games. So pretty impressive stuff. But obviously, you have to count the time they got absolutely whacked by the Ravens. Goff just under 300 yards passing and two scores and even Todd Gurley showed flashes of his old self. He um, 
he didn't do too bad, picked up a touchdown. And, and 21-3 up at the half, thanks to three eight-plus play, 70-plus yard drives. And the Rams looked to be in command. But then it's, things started going a little awry early in the third quarter. Pick six from recent signing Quandre Diggs. And the Seahawks were... There's me watching it, thinking, "Oh, they're on a they're on a comeback now. This is this is the the cue. This is the the turning moment." And then they go and miss the extra point. And when you miss an extra point in a game with, you know, not really that great a pressure to to kind of then take the lead, it's a bit of a sign. And Russell Wilson, by the end of the game, failed to pass for a touchdown for the first time all season. And bizarrely, this is the first time he's failed to throw a touchdown pass since week 14 last season when he beat the Vikings despite throwing for just 72 yards. And no, I'm not counting the fact that he didn't throw a touchdown in the Pro Bowl. The most disturbing part of the Seahawks' loss, I think, is the, is the disappearing act um, of Tyler Lockett, Sean. I mean... This was, this was a combination that was set in the NFL alight just over a month ago. Since his 18-target, 13-catch game against the Buccaneers in early November, Tyler Lockett has a miserable eight catches for 107 yards in four games and zero touchdowns. I mean, this loss, I think, makes the Seahawks 49ers Week 17 game absolute box office this is something that you could probably sell pay-per-view if you had the option if the NFL had the option I'm sure they'd make money selling it as a pay-per-view game as I said the Rams defensive line led by Aaron Donald were the real stars of this game maybe not on the stat sheet but Russell Wilson just didn't have time to find his targets and he was harassed all day for the Rams they likely need to win out still to reach the playoffs and that includes a road game against the 49ers that could actually finish their season in two weeks. But yeah, an impressive win for the Rams against the Seahawks team that were pretty hot going into that game. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Let's just hope for the Rams' side they haven't left it too late because we've said for a long time there's, there's too much talent on both sides of the ball for that to be a middling franchise. It looks like they've finally got it clicked into gear but they have dug themselves a hole and they've got some work to do. Right, that's your TV games caught up on. Let's move across to second down. Second down. Okay, quick fire then for second down. Only a couple of games that we're going to get into in any kind of depth. So let's start the round up and whiz through a few of these uh, the Cleveland Browns win the Battle of Ohio in a strange game that he's, he's basically dominated by the Cincinnati Bengals, but the Browns find a way to get it done. Big second half from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, as Freddie Kitchens remembers that the Browns are actually good at running the ball. And he goes to that in the second half, and that's enough to get the Browns over the line and move to six and seven. Uh, the New York Jets are back in the wing column after a shoddy display a week ago. They outlast the Miami Dolphins in this one, 22 points to 21. Plenty of field goals going between the sticks in this one, if you like your kickers. Uh, not a great deal of other offence, unfortunately. Uh, plenty of offence to be seen at Raymond James Stadium, though, where the Buccaneers, who have got to be one of the most entertaining teams, I would suggest, for a neutral, put 38 points on the board, and that is three more than that managed by the Indianapolis Colts. 
So another big win for the Bucks. They've actually now started a nice little three-game winning streak. As for the Colts, and, go on, mate. And James Winston, I think, is the first quarterback in NFL history to throw four touchdowns, plus throw three interceptions, plus get a rushing touchdown, plus throw for over 300 yards. So, again, just bizarre. It's just, if, if he... If he could reduce those interceptions, he'd, he'd be a good quarterback. It's, it's, it's a real shame. No, it absolutely is, mate. Absolutely is. Colts in trouble. They need to get their season back on track and quickly. Some big divisional games coming up in the AFC South, obviously, over the coming few weeks. Uh, the Redskins' little mini-revival gets brought to a halt by the Green Bay Packers. However, a much tighter game than I think anybody would have probably expected. Uh, Lawrence, I know you um, sort of gave up a little bit on Dwayne Haskins in this one. He's obviously not ready, and you know these next few games are all about giving him some game reps to to sort of hopefully you know propel him in the off season. But just very briefly, mate, just come for your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, don't don't be fooled by the final score. We we got that um, we got the final touchdown in garbage time. With it was a great catch by rookie Terry McLaurin, who's who's been quiet for the last month after exploding at the start of the season. Darius Geis again injured, and Haskins got hurt as well. But part of that is just he is a statue in the pocket. Bless him, he just he he cannot sense pressure, and he also cannot get the ball out quickly. He needs a decent quarterbacks coach to teach him how to get rid of the ball quickly. Otherwise, he's just going to get seriously hurt. He's not a scrambler. He's, he's, it's just so frustrating. And it's the first I'm, I've lasted until week 14 of this season watching the Redskins on Game Pass. And when, when Aaron Rodgers threw that touchdown to Tony in the tight end, I was like, that's it. I officially give up on the Redskins season. And I was justified because I... I didn't. I just didn't bother watching any of the second half. I, I flicked over to the the Bills Ravens game and had a much more enjoyable time. So yeah, this is this is the Redskins team. We look, look like they're going to go three and thirteen, and and who knows what they're going to do in the draft next year. But this is you know the the fork has been formally stuck in us. Certainly has, my friend. Those brief uh, flirtations you had with the divisional title, and I appreciate you. Jo- I appreciate fun. you were joking. It was fun while it lasted. Uh, in terms of the next game on the slate, the Panthers, uh, obviously minus Ron Rivera, they lose to the Atlanta Falcons, who have been very Jekyll and Hyde the last few weeks. Again, here they they put up some some brilliant offensive numbers, put forty points on the board. A guy that uh, I'd never heard of, Olamide Zacchaeus. A beautiful 93-yard pass from Matt Ryan. Uh, I believe, and I'm sure Lawrence will correct me, I believe that's the longest pass from scrimmage this year. I'm sure Lawrence is probably beavering away now to double-check my facts on that one. While you're checking... I'll give it you. I'll give it you. I'll give it you. There was was a 91-yarder, which we're coming on to. But no, yeah, 93, you could have it. Thank you. I'll take it for now. Um, next game, Lions, Vikings. Bit of a quiet one, really. Vikings get the job done in this one. 20 points to seven. Uh, fairly routine win. Lions now nine straight defeats. So you think the writing is on the wall for Mr. Patricia over in Detroit. Uh, a huge win on the road for the Denver Broncos. And probably the biggest surprise of the weekend, I would suggest. 
Uh, Ewan mentioned it on the podcast and new resident Texans fan that he thought this would actually be a tighter game than than probably the casual observer would have given it credit for. I don't think he would have expected a 38-24 to 24 defeat. And a great performance in this one from Drew Locke. Uh, he throws for three touchdowns on his debut road game. And, you know, like I said, the Broncos essentially out uh, way into the distance uh, at half time, and the Texans, you know, despite a little bit of a late rally to make the scoreboard look a little bit more interesting, never really in this one. And it's a little bit of a concern for, for a Texans team that still are in control of their own destiny. But as we get towards the playoffs, you know, it's almost become uh, a little bit of an ongoing joke, isn't it, that the Texans are one and done when it comes to playoff time. It has that feel about them. You know, they really do need to get some consistency back in their play. Uh, the Chargers on Philip Rivers' birthday score 45 points. Philip Rivers, the highest-rated quarterback ever on his birthday with 150-odd rating yesterday. But the day, in my opinion, didn't really belong to him. It belonged to Austin Eckler, who every time I flicked over to the Red Zone channel, he seemed to be having a huge play. He finished with 101 rushing yards on just eight attempts and 112 receiving yards on just four balls. Uh, an incredible day for Austin Eckler, who was a big play machine. The Chargers season actually seems to have almost got in reverse since Melvin Gordon came back. Austin Eckler started off the season hot. And, you know, for some reason, well, I'll say for some reason, I think, you know, Melvin Gordon was obviously uh, a huge part of that offense before all the contracts hold out and all of that malarkey. Um, however, Austin Eckler, big day in this one. Final game, just before we then put some meat and potatoes onto a couple of them, is the Steelers, who again find a way to get a W, 23-17 to 17 on the road to the Arizona Cardinals, who again, you know, fail uh, to live up to the hype. You know, that's, I believe, five or six defeats in a row now for the Cardinals after a brief mini-revival in season. And you know, it's the same old story, isn't it, for Pittsburgh, Devlin Hodges, Effective, 16 of 19, you know, completed 85% of his passes, only through for 150 yards. Not exactly a stellar day on the ground. You know, the leading rusher, only 41 rushing yards, uh, but more than enough for the Steelers to get the job done, and they move to 8 and 5. The two games that we're going to talk a little bit more about, and Lawrence, I'll throw it over to you. We're not going to go chronologically. We're going to talk about the one that was in the light window. And that was between the Tennessee Titans, arguably one of the hottest teams in football, or certainly one of the uh, the hottest quarterbacks in football in Ryan Tannehill, and the Oakland Raiders who were clinging on to wildcard aspirations heading into this one. Yeah, time to time to get the the cutlery out again and stick a fork in the Raiders, and you can start ordering your your Las Vegas gear for for 2020 as a pretty mega unfortunately timed injury for outstanding rookie running back Josh Jacobs played a huge part in the downfall of the silver and black who just couldn't prevent the Titans from winning their fourth straight in in absolute style Derek Henry and his beaver's tail are now only 38 yards behind behind your boy Mr Nick Chubb for the NFL rushing title Henry registered his fourth consecutive 100-yard ground game and his third two-touchdown game in his last four. And the Titans have now won six of their last seven under Ryan Tannehill. And talking of Tannehill, he had 391 yards passing and three scores. 
but this is this is this is a this is a phenomenal statistic here. In his last three games, which are all three wins, he's completed over seventy-seven percent of his passes for three consecutive weeks, which is you know breeze-esque. It's it's just incredible, incredible quality. And in that period of of those games, seven touchdowns and one interception. But Sean, as we know, that was nowhere near Tannehill's most impressive play of the game. And it came early. It came with, with no score on the on the board. Early in the first quarter, deflected pass, picked off by Raiders defensive tackle Maurice Hurst at his own 21. He starts going into the gears, first gear, second gear. I think, I think the maximum you can get from a defensive tackle is about third gear. So he's into third gear. 55 yards down the field, he's smelling the end zone, he's thinking of his planning his touchdown celebration. And then out of nowhere, Ryan Tannehill, who threw the interception, made the best tackle of his career to prevent the score. And even his 91-yard hookup to rookie AJ Brown was not as good as that tackle. Sean, talk us through that tackle. Do you know, do you know what I loved about that tackle? He actually wrapped him up as well. How many defenders? It was a, it was a complete form tackle, wasn't it? It's one of those ones that where the, the rookie class of next year, in, you know, in terms of learning how to deliver a perfect tackle, bizarrely, they're going to be watching Ryan Tannehill chase down a defensive tackle for an absolute just thumping form tackle. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, mate. It was, it was just textbook, like you say, wrapped him up. I mean, uh, and, you know, to be fair, yeah. It, like you say, the, the guy hadn't got a lot of speed up, let's be honest. But like you say, Tannehill comes out of nowhere, completely, you know, <laughs> blindsides this guy, makes sure that he's, he's down on the ground, wraps him up. And, you know, I, I think that just epitomised everything that Tannehill's brought to this Titans. He's brought a toughness. He, he's brought a lot of savvy with him. You know, I think the Dolphins will probably be looking on now and thinking, you know, what have we done here? You know, I think they've let a good one go by the looks of it. You know, maybe a change of scenery was exactly what he needed. Um, you know, but yeah, like I say, he's not in the team to tackle, but my God, if they're short at linebacker, I'd stick him in. Let's put it that way, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I, it was, I, I, I just, I, I got a little clip of it and I just kept going back to it and back to it. I just, I, I, I just enjoy it. It's just that feeling of that Absolute perfect tackle, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll have to we'll have to calm down Ryan Tannehill. But you know, this is a Titans team that's now eight and five and still well in the playoff hunt. So you know, congratulations to Tannehill. AJ Brown had a pretty monstrous game: five catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns, and Sean, one of your favourites, who had two catches for 47 yards. Mr. Mr. Blessing Game. Mr. Blazing Game. The, the, the man, the myth. Mr. Blazing Game. There he was. Two catches for 47 yards. Got to be happy. So this, this really was the, the, the Raiders are playing with a patchwork defence. Derek Carr still chugging away. 263 yards, two touchdowns. But they, they missed Josh Jacobs in, a, in the biggest way. The DeAndre Washington, who came in and covered. Yes, he had a score. And yes, he, he was rather impressive with his six catches as well. Six catches for 43 yards. But it just wasn't enough. 
this is, you know, Derek Henry's now running downhill and, and just, you know, anyone best get out of his way as far as I'm concerned for the last three games of the, the regular season. Yeah, certainly looking hot, mate. Certainly looking hot. Uh, the hottest team in the NFL, though, is the game that we're going to go to last, and that, of course, is the Baltimore Ravens. And they, on the road against Buffalo, get another win on the board. Game really dominated by defence. Lots of defence in this one, particularly good third-down defence. A combined seven for 28, the two sides were. 14 times you saw the punter on the field on Sunday. So if defence is what you like to see, this was certainly the game for you. Baltimore in this one actually held to quite a low 118 rush yards. It's almost surprising to say that's a low total, but that's how good Baltimore have been on the ground. Um, So that was across 33 carries. Uh, But I think the biggest stat in this one for me was more the fact that Josh Allen himself as the quarterback was limited to just two rushing attempts in the game. Uh, That, for me, isn't a recipe for success. If you look at the previous three weeks where the Bills had obviously won the games, Josh Allen had been running with a lot more regularity. He'd been throwing the ball on average around 27, 28 times per contest. In this one, he finished 17 of 39. The Buffalo Bills aren't going to win an awful lot of games when Josh Allen is throwing the rock 39 times. Uh, So not a good combination. Uh, Lamar Jackson, quiet day really, although statistically he still gets a nice end line. 16 of 25 for 145 yards and three touchdowns. But don't let that deceive you too much. His big one of the day was a 61-yarder. So outside of that one, lots of dink and dunk. And quite a worrying stat here for the Ravens is Marquise Brown, who obviously started the season off flying, was actually held to negative yardage on his receptions. And the combined Baltimore wide receiving group went 7-7 for 19 in terms of receptions. We've talked about it a a fair bit. Yes, this Ravens offense is effective, but if you can shut down the running game, and obviously you're going to need to be strong in the middle of the defense because the tight end is such a huge weapon, there is a way of getting at this Baltimore team. Obviously, defensively, though, a stellar effort in this one. And that's obviously where Baltimore are going to be very difficult because they do play good complementary football. They've obviously got an excellent special teams unit as well. We obviously know how good Justin Tucker is and how reliable he is. So it's very much an all-round unit. Uh, So they ultimately get the job done in this one. For Buffalo, wouldn't be too disheartened. You know, it's a game that, again, they've run a top um, opponent close in. And I think they will be licking their lips at the opportunity to get in and amongst it with New England. Um, you know, I, I think that Buffalo, you know, potentially could still, well, I think they're certainly pretty much a lock, I would say, for a wild card spot at worst. But I think they could, you know, be a serious, serious challenger to New England. As much as anything that's based on New England struggles, it is, as it is my faith in Buffalo, admittedly. Um, but I think they play good defence. You know, a, another another good game here on the defensive side of the ball. Nice little moments as well when some of the uh, the paperwork from the Baltimore sideline came on the field and Tredavious White tried to have a quick glance at the notes to see if he could get some inside information. Um, but a, a, a decent matchup. Uh, two sides that are likely to be playoff bound. Lawrence, you said you saw quite a bit of this one. Um, what was your view on it? Yeah, a couple of weird ones. I mean, Devin, Devin Singletree, the Bills rookie running back, was was the hot hand and obviously had the, the big stats. And then getting all the way, you know, 
smelling the smelling the end zone and they give the ball to Frank Gore. And yes, I absolutely love Frank Gore, but it was a weird decision. You know, go go with a hot hand if you're going to try and try and actually punch the ball in. You, you never know. I mean, he's he's he, he's a lot younger, a lot faster, and they they could have gone to some sort of outside play, but they no, they went. We're going to try and we're going to try and you know grind the ball in with 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 Big Frank, and it just didn't quite work. One thing, you know, we've we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about Lamar Jackson and his legs and his all of his records and stuff. What I just found impressive in this game was the 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 different angles from his arm that that Lamar Jackson throws. Whether it was that kind of shovely dunk for the first touchdown, and then when he kind of he can sidearm stuff, he can drill stuff. I think he's 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 got. Well, I don't know whether he's double jointed, but he he just seems to have. He seems to kind of. He's he's this year's version of what Patrick Mahomes was last year, just sort of defying all these angles. And and unfortunately for for Mahomes, he hasn't managed to kind of repeat what he did last season. And it's all it's all Lamar Jackson. So yeah, I, I think this it's it's very much changing the formula of how you win games. You don't need a 300-yard passing game to win. You do absolutely need depth at running back, um, and you need to you need to have that kind of you know it's like the shark's teeth. When you know if you snap a shark's teeth off, there's more shark's teeth underneath. And for the for the Ravens to have with with Lamar Jackson four quality running backs in you know in the stable, you, you can't really go wrong. So, you know, a, another close one for Baltimore, but one they, they ultimately controlled. And I think that, that defence will be, will be seething because they, they, they did allow Devin Singletree to have a, a slightly good game. But what, the thing that they didn't allow were the, were the deep passes. And there was a lot of deep passes that um, poor old Josh Allen was attempting. But right at the end, the, the Marcus Peters... Um, deflection great stuff great stuff really enjoyed it yep certainly was a good game mate and that is the final one that we had on the slate for sunday only one game left of course monday night football we'll touch on that as we get into fourth down but for now let's move on to third down and stats life Okay, you lovely listeners, let's get you some statistics in your ears. Lawrence, I've got to say, it always feels like a bonus stats life whenever you're on, mate. We've already had a few belters thrown in throughout the commentary of the games. And I'm going to start us off and reference someone that you've just been talking about in terms of James Winston. Uh, and he's, um, he's liking for interceptions, shall we say. So the game on Sunday was Jameis Winston's 23rd game where he threw for multiple interceptions in the same game. He's the first quarterback since Peyton Manning to have 23 multiple interception games in his first five NFL seasons. So you said earlier, Lawrence, if we could just, you know, get rid of the turnovers, he might not be too bad. You know, we probably would have been having the same conversation around about Peyton Manning 20-something years ago. So maybe all hope is not quite lost yet for James Winston down in Tampa. But unfortunately, the one thing we didn't say about earlier, um, they lost Mike Evans for the season. 
which is a big, big blow. Not that they're in the playoff hunt, but it's unfortunate to lose one of your your mega studs um, for the season. So hopefully Mike Evans has a has a good recovery um, and everything goes smoothly as he enters 2020. So my first stats life for this week, Vikings defensive end Danielle Hunter became the youngest player in NFL history to reach 50 sacks. And he's now got 52 and a half for his career, including three on Sunday against the Lions when he drilled undrafted rookie David Blau to reach the record. And he beat Robert Quinn by 127 days. And this is where I'm going to add a little bit of value here. So some context. It took Daniel Hunter 46 games to reach 50 sacks. It took Reggie White just 40 games to reach 50 sacks, which is the the record. But this, you have to remember, Reggie White spent his first two seasons of professional football playing in the USFL for the Memphis Showboats in 1984 and 1985. And for double added value, one of Reggie White's teammates on the Memphis Showboats was none other than Lawrence Fohl. Do you know who Lawrence Fohl is? Not a clue. He went on to become the multiple leagues wrestler Lex Luger. Oh, there you go. There you go. Lex Luger himself. I'll I'll tell you what, mate. Every every day is a school day when I podcast with you, my friend. Tell me another NFL podcast that's got stuff like this, and you'll be be searching a long time. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to keep it back at a relatively simple and straightforward level, and let's talk about the other quarterback in the 49ers and New Orleans Saints game that we didn't give any love to whatsoever, but Taysom Hill. And going to just talk about him for a slightly different reason. He now has a reception in 10 games this season, and that's the most by any quarterback in a single season during the Super Bowl era. So the Taysom Hill experiment, the Swiss Army knife, did they line him up at receiver, running back, quarterback? The reality is they line him up anywhere. He's become a big part of that offense, and congratulations to him. He sets a new record as the single most receptions by a quarterback in a season. Brilliant. And he had a monster first down run as well. Yeah, when he, 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 he looked like Mike Allstott. So if anyone knows who Mike Allstott is, he looked like him on a, on, a, on a dive play. And I think he added an extra three yards just for fun. So uh, it, it, it's pretty special watching Taysom Hill. So my next one is Noah Fant, the Denver Broncos tight end, became the first rookie tight end for... 17 years to record two 100-yard receiving games in a season. The last person to do that was back in 2002, and that was Super Bowl winner New York Giants tight end Jeremy Shockey. But more added value for you. The record holder for a rookie tight end with 100-yard games is a guy called Charlie Young who, as a rookie in 1973, had his four 100-yard games. Young actually ended up playing 13 seasons in the NFL, but was only an All-Pro as a rookie. 
and he actually played in two Super Bowls, one for the Rams and one for the 49ers, and he caught a pass from Joe Montana in Super Bowl 16. There you go. There you go. I'm going to have to up my game for next week. I can't compete with you this week at all. <laughs> Let's go for my final one then. And we've talked quite a bit about Lamar Jackson. We've talked quite a bit about Frank Gore and the respective records that they have been on to break this year. One that we haven't mentioned, I don't believe, is Travis Kelsey, who, with his 66 yards in the Chiefs' win over the Patriots, moved up to second most receiving yards by a tight end in his first seven seasons in the NFL. He's only actually 56 yards away from passing Jimmy Graham to take the all-time record. So I would suggest there's every chance a brand-new record will be broken when the Chiefs go into action on week number 15, my friend. Cool, cool. I hope so. And, and my final one, it's it's one of our Stats Life regulars, Mr. Mr. Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, the Falcons quarterback. On Sunday, he had a win, which is most likely all he actually genuinely cares about because he's he is pretty much a team player. But he managed to reach 50,000 passing yards. He remains 10th all-time because he, he took over um, Warren Moon a little bit earlier in the season. And he's now just 1,196 yards behind John Elway. And at his current pace, he's, he's probably still going to be 10th by the end of this season. But as soon as he goes into 2020, he'll, he'll move up a spot. And one of the guys is actually two spots ahead of him. He's none other than our Monday night football maestro, Eli Manning. And, and just, just as a little sort of throwaway statement, we are in an era of absolute, we're in an era packed with legendary quarterbacks. If you look now, six of the top 10 all-time passers will have actually started a game by the end of this week. Yep, no, it's, it is it is a phenomenal time to be an NFL fan. Certainly, if you like the ball going through the air, it's certainly become more and more of a passing league, as we know. And like you said, we're blessed to have so many good signal callers out there. Right, that's your stats live for this week. Let's move over to fourth down and get you caught up with the playoff picture. Fourth down. Okay, fourth down, and let's get you right up to speed with where things stand with regards to the playoffs. Last time myself and Lawrence were on, it seemed like near enough every single team was still in the hunt. I'm afraid that's no longer the case. And over in the NFC, we are down to just a possible nine teams for the end-of-season reckoning. And let's start you off with the first seed. It's back in control of the San Francisco 49ers with an 11-2 and record. Second seed currently, the Green Bay Packers, 10-3. and three. Third seed with the same record, the New Orleans Saints at 10-3. and three. And the fourth seed, oh, the horrible, horrible Dallas Cowboys at 6-7 and seven in the fourth seed. We'll get onto a debate one day, mate, about whether they should shake these things up, but we'll leave it for another pod as uh, we're pressed for time. Fifth seed currently, the Seattle Seahawks, 10-3. and three. And the sixth seed is the Vikings at 9-4. and four. On the outside looking in, the Rams at 8-5. and five. 
the Bears at seven and six. So both of those two teams obviously looking for wildcard potentials. And the Eagles still in the hunt, obviously, at five and seven. They're in play for the NFC East Divisional Crown. So, Lawrence, we're down to nine. I've said for a while, I think there's only the, the Cowboys and the Eagles that are going to flip and flop. Do you see that being any different this week? Potentially the Rams creeping into contention? It's, I, this is going to... I think, let, let's say it now, I'm going to eliminate the Chicago Bears, even though mathematically at seven and six, they've got a chance. I'm going to eliminate them now. So, sorry, all your Bears fans. I think this really does come down to what the Vikings and the Rams are going to do in the past three weeks, in the, in the last three weeks. It's possible. In the way that the Rams are playing and the fact that they, they will have that, that memory of a, of a playoff run from last season, they, they know what it's like. It's not, it's not that, they're, that it's unusual for them to be going further, far in the playoffs. So this is, this is one of these ones that we're going to be I think we're going to be watching the Rams and the Vikings closely. I don't think anyone's watching the Cowboys or the Eagles closely. Yes, it, it is absolutely right. The Eagles could somehow top the Cowboys and win the dreadful NFC East. But I think either of them are one-and-done teams by the time by the time we hit January in the, the wildcard round. So I've still, I've still got faint hopes for the Seahawks um, winning the division. So I don't think that, that the, the 49 Seahawks race is all over yet. So despite that that kind of rather rather sad loss on Sunday night, I think the Seahawks still have it in them to end up 13-3. and three. So we could end up 13-3, and three, 49ers 12-4. It's possible. It's possible. Yep, certainly some class teams in there though. And like you say, outside of that four seed, I don't think anyone would begrudge anyone else that's in there. I'd like to see the Packers do something. Um, you know, they're not overly convincing despite that ten and three record. You know, the last few weeks have been a bit dodgy to say the least. Let's move over to the AFC and the Ravens, eleven and two, uh, in the first seed, the Patriots at ten and three in the second seed. So effectively with the tiebreaker, a two game lead there for the Ravens. Third seed are now the Chiefs at nine and four, and the fourth seed the Texans at eight and five. Another example here of a wild card team with a better record is the Bills take the fifth seed at nine and four, and the sixth seed still being clung on to by the Pittsburgh Steelers at eight and five. Mathematically speaking, there are still a few more teams in the hunt in the AFC. The Titans at eight and five, the Browns at six and seven, the Raiders at six and seven, the Colts at six and seven, and even the Broncos at five and eight are mathematically still in play. So, mate, same question. How do you see the AFC uh, panning out? Yeah, strange. I mean, all, all the AFC teams that are outside looking in have a, either a split or a, a winning divisional record. So they're they're hanging in there, but I think let's let's kill off the the Broncos, the Colts, and the Raiders. I'll be nice to you, and I'll say somehow there's going to be a Browns miracle, but I'll I'll leave that up to you. Realistically, this is going to be a fight between the the Steelers and the Titans. Now the Steelers obviously come off the back of beating the Arizona Cardinals, which is not the the most triumphant kind of 
thing to to do. I think it's not not that hard to really beat the Cardinals. The Titans are the hottest team that are not the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC. So I, I'd actually enjoy watching the Titans in the playoffs. They 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 are a completely different team with with Brian Tannehill and with um, with Derek Henry on on fire. So the Bills. They, it's it's possible that the Bills could win their division. The Patriots are on a bit of a slump at the moment. The Chiefs not looking convincing, but they're they're likely to win their division. And question marks remain around the Texans for sure. So I don't think the Colts have got it in them to to go anywhere. But I think that matchup between the um, the Texans and the Titans, I think we've we've got a really good contest there. So I think there's still still a lot to fight for, but realistically, we're talking about Steelers and the Titans fighting it out for that remaining wild card. Yeah, don't disagree, mate. I appreciate you trying to be kind to me. I don't think there's any chance of the Browns getting there now. I think the the, the, the Steelers' loss was essentially the final nail in the coffin of the very big hole that they dug themselves at the start of the season. Right, that gets you caught up, and I can see the referees approaching us, mate. We best get out of it. Time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. Okay, as ever, just to bring you up to speed with everything full 10 yards. So, as it will be Tuesday tomorrow, it's takeaway day. So, look forward to the written article to accompany the podcast where we take you a little bit more in depth of some of the things that we've pulled out of the weekend's games. Tuesday, we'll also see the college football podcast return with Lee and the boys. So, give them a listen. They'll be reviewing Championship Weekend and getting us all prepared, ready for the bowl season with all of the um, stuff announced in terms of who's going to be playing who and all of that kind of good stuff in the world of college. Anyone still left with an opportunity to win your fancy football, then obviously make sure that you check out all of the articles that will come down this week in terms of your starts and sits. And obviously, if you need to make any late waiver wire additions, make sure you give the guys a good follow and get yourself some good playoff advice. It'll loop all back round to us, of course, on Thursday as we get set for what will be week 15. Unbelievable that we're already at week 15, isn't it? It doesn't seem like two minutes ago that the season was kicking off, but here we are, week 15, fast approaching. And, of course, there'll be a couple of us in your ears again to discuss what we think will happen in the upcoming weekend. Mm. That just about wraps us up for your Monday edition of the Full 10 Yards podcast. So, with that being said, it's goodbye from Lawrence. Take care, everybody. Cheers, mate. Pleasure to have you back on. Good to hear from you. And from me, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's da-da for now. Da-da. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.